are listening to The Therapy Podcast with your host, Shloimi Balsam. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Therapy Podcast. Today we're going to talk about what CBT therapy support. is, how do you set up an effective CBT session, session. Really what does way. the therapist need to do, some amazing emails need to do from you guys, what just saying thank you with ideas for other episodes. Um, I really appreciate just the interaction is... One of the main reasons why I went into therapy in the first place, just to be able to interact with people. And this is a really strange medium. It's not therapy. It's not even remote therapy. This is just talking to people globally. And uh, it's a fascinating idea. Just think about that you're listening and there's a guy across the globe who's listening uh, with you. That's it's a little mind-blowing, come to think of it. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about... A CBT therapy. What is, what should you expect from a CBT therapist? And maybe a little bit of the behind the scenes. How does it work? What's the client's role? What is a therapist's role? What do you have to do to get it to work? CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And since its original creation, and we've done podcasts on this before, it's taken various forms and models and people have connected to the principles of it and customized it to their liking, to what they found to be effective with themselves, with their clients. You know, every narcissist decides that he wants a model named after them, but essentially the principles are the same and everyone can connect to that. There is actually a lot of self-help that can be drawn from CBT. They, you know, you don't necessarily need a therapist for all of it. Although having a second person with you, an outside view, an unbiased, resistance-free aid is always helpful. CBT works for a lot of things. It addresses and manages a wide range of mental health issues. When you go to a CBT therapist, here's what you can expect. Number one, a collaborative approach. Generally, CBT is a collaborative form of therapy. You're going to work together with your therapist to identify and understand your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors. If you Google images, you look up a picture of CBT, you'll get that triangle, that circular triangle where you have thoughts, emotions, and behavior. Cognition is just a fancy word for thoughts. And the principle is, and this is something that you should know going into therapy, or it'll be the first thing that your CBT therapist tells you, your emotions, which is usually the thing that brings you into therapy, they're all backed and produced, engineered by your cognitions, by your thoughts. So if you take it a step back, your thoughts are what creates, designs and powers your emotions your emotions are what decide how you are going to act your behavior. And the way you act actually changes the way that you think. For example, it's hard to know where to jump in in this circle, but let's pick any spot. If you think that you're stupid, you are going to behave stupidly. If you... Be well, first, I skipped a step. If you think that you're stupid, you're going to believe and therefore feel stupid. And when your next test comes around, behaviorally, you're going to flunk it. 
Because what's the point? I'm stupid. I can't do this. And if you start flunking tests and act stupid, you're going to then think that I'm stupid. And as the vicious cycle continues, you'll feel stupid. Act stupid. Think stupid. And plug in any emotion. Plug in any thought. Plug, plug in any behavior. And this cycle continues. That's the CBT triangle. Together with your therapist, in a collaborative approach, typically you're going to figure out what is that cycle with you. This is not something that your therapist can figure out for you. It has to be done together. I'll ask you all the questions. I'll try out the maps. But collaboratively, it has to be you presenting yourself. What have you been thinking? What have you been feeling? What have you been doing? And then we put it together and be like, oh my gosh, this is my custom-made triangle. This is my vicious cycle that I need to break. No one, and this is a fundamental principle, one of the basics of therapy, no one is a bigger expert in you than you are. Your therapist, if he tells you things about you that you disagree with, disagree with him. He doesn't know you better than you do. It is likely that you're disagreeing because you don't want to believe it. You have a resistance. If the guy, if the guy is suggesting that you are stupid, and let's just take that for an example, um, there's a million reasons why I don't want to admit that I'm stupid. So that could be the reason why I'm denying it. But if I know for sure that I'm brilliant and this guy is trying to push on me that I'm smart, there's a good chance that he's missing something that he doesn't realize how smart I am. And that's something that you really need to work on together. The second thing that you'll find and you should expect from a CBT therapist is that it's goal-oriented. CBT is designed to be focused and goal-oriented. The therapist is gonna assist you in defining specific goals that you want to achieve during the therapy process. Now, this comes in two forms. There's the short-term goals and the long-term goals. Personally, I wish I could have two-hour sessions where we can knock off chunks of emotional issues in one shot because I find that dividing them up into 40-50 minute sessions destabilizes the emotional depth that you achieve in that first half hour, uh, 20 minutes. It takes a while until you get to that place of emotional honesty. Even if you're comfortable with your therapist, which does take a session or two, depending on the person, depending on the therapist, depending on the match, there's still an element of emotional vulnerability where I'm, I feel understood. I feel like my issue is clear and I clarify what I want to do with my issue. What is my goal? And then it's only that last stretch we actually work on it. And the truth is, it doesn't take as long to fix your problem as it does to identify it. Often, when you clarify your question, the answer is relatively simple. But I find that breaking them up into shorter sessions creates that challenge. So holding on to your goal is very important because CBT is based on this, on this goal. Uh, if my goal is to break social anxiety, so if I spend my first session realizing that I have it, how it manifests, why it manifests, what are the thoughts that are creating my anxiety, and how I act based on my anxiety, how my actions produce further thoughts, etc., then I would need to build a platform for me to work from. Where do I want to go from here? What do I actually want? Taking down my resistance and saying, hold on, there are parts of the social anxiety that are really wonderful and they keep me safe, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever the 
specific thing that we're dealing with is. And then from there, we're going to start challenging my thoughts or reframing my behavior or uh, exposure therapy. This can be something which is broken down into a number of sessions, especially if you're going to, you know, dump some things in in the middle and be like, oh, by the way, before we start, before we pick up from last week, uh, something came up this week. So that thing can't derail you. It's important. You have to write it down and get back to it. But finish where you left off. When you set your goal, make sure that you stay focused on it, you and your therapist. And while the therapist does have a job to keep you on track, you're paying for the time. It's your session. If you insist and the client is insisting on talking about something else, that's his decision. But know that you're giving up on your original goal. And it's going to be, you're starting from ground zero, essentially, when you go back to that social anxiety, if you want to talk about, you know, your depression this week. Once your goal is set, you set your mind to get to the end of it. What's my goal? I want to eliminate social anxiety. Until your social anxiety is gone, don't give up on that. Other things will arise. Write them down. Set them up as your next goals. But stick with it. It'll be worth it in the end. When you wrap up an issue in a capsule, put it aside. Then all you have to do is relapse prevention. That issue is solved. If you poke into little issues one at a time, but never leave them wrapped with a ribbon, you may not be satisfied with your results. Step number three, you should expect from your CBT therapist to identify negative patterns. Identifying our negative thoughts, again, these are the things, the cognitions, that produce our emotional states. This is not a natural thing that comes to people. people generally, people do not instinctively notice and appreciate the negative thoughts that they're thinking that created this emotion. If I feel depressed, Naturally, I won't think of the thoughts that are creating this depression. Now, the thoughts can be extensive. It's always more than one thought. Our minds are incredibly complex. When you dip into that well of brain power, it'll start pouring out. But the skill is what opens up that well. That's what taps into this stream of thoughts. This is something that you can do by yourself. Take out a piece of paper. You do this, you will solve a lot of your emotional issues. Keep pen and paper with you. Notepads on your phone are not as good. Pen and paper has a certain effect. Something about writing it and seeing it in your own handwriting. It's hard to explain. I'm sure there's studies done on it. Maybe I'll come back with you with one of those. Write out what your negative thoughts are. I'm feeling depressed. What am I thinking that make that makes me feel depressed? If I was thinking life is perfect and great and sunshine and, and I'm the most blessed person in the world, I wouldn't be feeling depressed. So what are the thoughts that are creating depression? It could be, th- it could be um, I'm useless. This will never change. Life stinks. It's all my fault. Write out these thoughts. Now, just having them down on paper immediately begins a reframing in your mind of, hold on, this that's what's going on in my head? That's my subconscious right there. Now your consciousness will attack those thoughts. Hold on, it's all my fault? Is it really all my fault? Is it possible that there are other factors here that I'm not taking into account? 
a brain tends to distort and twist these thoughts into a very harsh reality. These are things we would never say to other people. For example, you failed the test and you think that you didn't study enough. You might be right. If someone else came over to you and said, I failed the test, I didn't study enough, you would never tell them, oh, it's all your fault. It's like, what? That, that's cruel. And yet we have no problem doing that to ourselves. Looking at these thoughts on paper helps us reevaluate. Hold on a second. You're telling me that it's all my fault? Yeah, I should have studied more. There are facts and then there are these distorted thoughts. When you put them together, there's serious discrepancies. The fact is, I could have studied more. I had more time, I had the capability. Should I have? Should statements are tough. Are tough. There are very few things that should be happening. And often I'll take my clients and I'll, 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 I'll pitch them two sentences, two phrases, two lines, and, and I'll ask them, look, I'm gonna tell you the same thing just in two different ways. One is the way that you're telling it to yourself, and one is based on the true facts. Tell me which one hurts more, emotionally. Right? And say rank it one to seven. The first sentence, you ready? Here we go. You should have done better. One to seven. Number two, you could have done better. Same thing, both factual. But when you say should have, you're distorting it into a very negative attacking mode and it, it, that hurts and that can create a depression. And then when you say things like, it will never get better, that's all or nothing. Like, I'm pretty sure it will get better. I've been here before. But since these are all cognitions and thoughts that are buried in our subconscious, we don't give it the time to challenge them. And often it's very easy to challenge these thoughts. Like the second you hear it out loud, they're like, whoa, no, no, that, that, that's not exactly right. CBT involves challenging and reframing negative or distorted thoughts and beliefs. Your therapist will help you develop more realistic and helpful ways of thinking. Step number five, you're gonna learn coping strategies. Once you've identified your negative pattern, you've challenged and restructured your thoughts. Now you learn how to deal with them. You'll learn various coping strategies and practical techniques to manage your symptoms or problems. These may include relaxation exercises, problem solving skills, and behavior change techniques. Recently, I've been very excited about mindfulness. Mindfulness I see as like this alternative medicine that has no side effects and solves like every problem. The more you do it, the more effective it is obviously, but mindfulness, being in the moment and present and aware of what my thoughts, what my emotions are. If you're mindful about your emotions, your negative thoughts will automatically jump out. It's like, what second? I feel really depressed. What am I thinking that makes me feel depressed? That's mindfulness. Often the solutions to your problems will emerge from this mindful state and mindfulness is intrinsically relaxing. That sense of acceptance where there's nothing to do but observe. And then the techniques of how to actually change your behavior can often be obvious. It's like, well, I'm freaking out in social, in social situations and I can't talk to people. What would actually happen if I talked to people? That's a really scary thought. If I were to talk to people and see that those scary things aren't happening, that exposure would prove these negative thoughts wrong. There's a slew, and I mean like hundreds, of various coping strategies. All of them are effective in their own way. Your therapist should have some form of a 
what I call a therapy toolbox, where there's a million coping strategies, and as soon as you're ready and open and willing and sure that you actually wanna get rid of your symptoms, he just has to pull one out, one that rings with you, one that resonates, and voila. One of the things I learned from David Burns is that before any therapy can take any positive effect on a person, he has to let down his resistance. And that's where validation of the symptom comes in. Where, you know, maybe it's really okay to be depressed. Maybe it's really okay to think that I'm awful and terrible. Well, that's not true. I am getting something out of this. Our brains aren't out to get us in this like evil sort of a way. They're trying to help. And by being depressed, it protects me, it saves me, it keeps me, keeps me comfortable. Now I have to come to a place where I'm willing to give those things up for the potential benefits. Once I'm in that state, where I'm willing to give up the positives of my negatives, for the ultra positives, which outweigh those negatives, I get how this could be a little confusing, but if, I, if I'm willing to give up the pleasures of depression, and there is a certain sweetness to it. For the positives of not being depressed, now I'm willing to look at these coping strategies and they'll take effect almost immediately. It'll feel like magic. Now, the sixth thing that you should expect from your CBT therapist is homework assignments. Every time I tell a client, here's your homework, um, I deal with primarily adolescents and homework it does present itself with the issue of it just being a trigger because homework is never a good thing but uh with cbt I th I, I, i've been rephrasing it as exercises because you know guys like working out that works um you realize that you know an exercise doesn't have pure negative connotations uh but in many cases cbt therapists are going to sign you homework between sessions and that's going to reinforce what you've discussed in practice and therapy you're only in therapy for max what an hour a week that's not enough to change you in a significant and long-lasting way these homework exercises are the real therapy you see the results in the homework you have an entire week of practical therapy i have no issue with my clients giving me a call when they find themselves stuck and these tend to be very short conversations. They're not therapy. Therapy is in therapy. But when there's a homework assignment that they need to do, uh, a way to speak to somebody, a way to interact with somebody, especially with, especially with uh, interactions, or if, one, if they're challenged, they find themselves being depressed and the skills that we discussed aren't second nature yet. They give me a call. I'm like, okay, remember, this is step one, this is step two. Now go do it. And then we debrief the next session. Homework is vital to successful therapy. You don't do it, that's your fault. And essentially you're throwing away your therapy. You'll come in, you'll feel good. And next week you'll have more problems and you'll feel good for another hour and a half. Until the high of being you know, validated goes away. If you wanna actually change and break your habits, that takes work. Exercise doesn't work if you do it once a week and then pound carbs the rest. Emotionally, it works the same. It has to be an ongoing commitment. 
Number seven, you should expect a time-limited therapy from your CBT therapist. CBT is often structured as a short-term therapy approach, typically consisting of a set of number of sessions. However, the duration of therapy can vary depending on individual needs and progress. As long as you stick to your goals, it should take a specific number of sessions, give or take one or two, if there's a setback or if you are particularly successful at one of the exercises. And then that issue will be gone. You can then start another set tackling another issue. Although once you have the fundamental skills of recognizing your cognitions, identifying their distortions, you are often set to challenge an, a, an entire cabinet of emotional issues. And the eighth thing that you should expect from your CBT therapist is an evaluation of progress. Throughout the therapy process, you and your therapist will regularly assess your progress towards your goals. This evaluation helps determine if any adjustments or modifications to the treatment are necessary. Where did you start off at? Where do you want to be? Where are you holding right now? Were you expecting to be further? Are you impressed with how you got here? Do you feel like you are actually at this state or this is a temporary shell of progress? How do we concretize and eternalize this progress and make sure that it stays with you as part of you from here on out? Now remember, this is just a general description of what you can expect from a CBT therapist. Every therapist has their own unique approach and style. It's important that you have an open and honest dialogue with your therapist to make sure that they're meeting your specific needs. When the whole field of mental health was first starting, the psychiatrists, psychologists were very aloof and it was like, no, you have problems, I have no problems. And like, this is not about me, this is about you. Today, your therapist should not be like that. They should be open to discussing what they're doing wrong or just not doing that is what is working specifically for you. It must be custom made for you. Every client is different and every therapist is different. And it's likely that if you're not getting what you want, there's just a slight shift that has to be made for this match between you and your therapist to be ultimately successful. And there, that may just be falling short of a single conversation of, you know, I would love if we did more of this or this isn't talking to me. I don't feel really understood right now. Can I explain it a little more? Or I think you're missing a piece of my story. I don't think you understand the physical component of how my body feels when I go into a state of anxiety. Make sure that you're staying on the same page and talk it out. And with that, you should have tremendous success not only overcoming your emotional challenges, but growing and becoming the best person that you can possibly be in the process. Thank you so much for listening. As always, any comments or questions, ideas for episodes, send them my way at askmetherapy at gmail.com. Have a wonderful day.